0: Welcome to The Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Someroo. Hey everybody, this week I am joined by Chris Naumidis, the founder of Mindset Health, and he is building a portfolio of digital therapeutic apps using hypnosis-based techniques to tackle underserved health conditions. So after going through StarMate, Y Combinator and raising over $8 million, he now leads a team of 30 people on the mission to help a billion people manage their health by unlocking the power of their mind. So Mindset Health's first product, Nerva, focused on irritable bowel syndrome, so IBS, and that was launched in mid-2019 that is now helping over 80,000 people improve their health, and there are other products in the pipe that we are going to talk about today. So, Chris, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing, mate? Doing very well. Thanks for having me, James. How you doing? You're very welcome, sir. I'm doing all right. As I said to you just off air, it's the first one back for me, this, so I uh, haven't recorded this podcast in a fair few months, so... Uh, yeah, I think let's, let, we'll get through it together. I think it might require a lot of editing, but uh, I'll try and remember what all my what all my questions are. Uh, whereabouts are you based, Chris? Uh, coming out of Melbourne, Australia. So, 9 p.m. for me now. Bit bit late for getting there. Oh, that is a late one, man. You should have said. Could have done this a bit earlier. But thank you for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, <we're> thanks, <laughs> thanks for joining. Thanks for joining. So, dude. Yeah. Uh, mindset Health. It looks really cool. Uh, there's going to be loads for us to talk about, but. Uh, what we do on this podcast is get you to tell your story initially. So it'd be great to hear a bit about how you got here, mate. Tell us the whole thing. Awesome. Well, I guess I, I grew up in a household where entrepreneurship and startups was something we talked about a lot.
1: My dad started a, a couple of companies and looking to start his next one. So he's, he's, he's on it. Every time he'd come back, come home, we talk about it at dinner and we talk about the ideas that we could do, you know. And I think a lot of that instilled this idea of with me and my brother Alex that we'd always start something. Like we'd always be trying to figure out the next thing that we could do. And like at an early age, at like 15, I think we were making iPad apps and transparently it was to make money back then. And that's what we were trying to do, to, to figure out a way to make money when we were 15 instead of trying to get a job at Woolworths, which didn't sort of inspire us or we were passionate about. By like 17, 18, we were the way that we tried to make money was by, we didn't like betting companies and we didn't like the philosophy behind betting companies and how they would take money from from gamblers as a way to create profit. And so something we figured out is that different betting companies have different odds. And if that's the case, then by betting on both sides of both betting companies, you have a guaranteed profit, which is considered an arbitrage. Um, and I, I, I for the 17, 18, 19, 20, I sort of lived off that and, and made, a, made a living that way and then realized I wanted to, to start my own thing and to, to go forward. And I think even though we always wanted to start our own thing, growing up in Melbourne, growing up in the, the school I did with the friends I had, everyone was going into finance, everyone was going into commerce and it was always just an area that made sense and even if I didn't make a certain decision around it. And so it was always like, that's the thing I need to do. Um, so we went, studied finance for a couple of years and it was just not something I was passionate about and it wasn't something that ticked my box. And Alex and I still, even though he was studying accountant, I was studying finance, we didn't weren't passionate about that. We weren't talking about that when we were playing games or we were like walking, uh, like we were going for a walk or anything like that. And so we decided to start thinking about what we could do, and we wanted to sort of go a different direction in our life and, and and start something again. And so we were rattling through a lot of ideas, like the normal startup people that have a bunch of ideas and just wanted to get something done. And then we, we had one which was barbecue paper. So this idea that we could have it's called baking paper. We're baking paper. So it's not, it's, it's something that you can put on a sort of flat slate of barbecue. Um, and you can, we were really annoyed that you had to clean a barbecue. And, uh, one of our uncles showed us this technique about putting baking paper and we were like, okay, let's, let's create a company called barbecue paper and let's have baking paper that goes on the slate. So you can cook stuff on it still retains the heat. Doesn't, doesn't sort of ruin any of the meat. And then I think our second day testing it, we accidentally had the corner go over the grill and it just blew up in flames. And so <laughs> we ended up not being able to go with that idea and and that was something that we 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 learned, which is test fast, I guess is the, the learning there. And excellent. But that was just a few of like a random ideas that we went didn't actually care about. We were just trying to hmm. inspire ourselves and I think our first real startup was a, a company called Covet. So it helped women uh, rent dresses to each other. So we saw, we saw women renting dresses um, on Facebook marketplace, on Instagram, posting on their stories. And we were like, that can't be the ideal situation. Like, let's fix that problem. And as two males with no dress experience who own zero dresses, we thought that's a cool problem to solve. Let's do that. That makes sense for us about six months in we learned to code we learned everything to be able to figure out how to build these apps and no one wanted it we built this five like hugely you know feature driven you know we, we know exactly what women need we have five different tabs <laughs> in our app which have all the different features that they would want and after yeah, about six months um, Alex and I had a sort of like post post launch post like growth like a chat and we we're like is this where we want to have impact is this where we yeah. want to spend our lives is this the 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 type of idea that we could work on for seven to 10 years. Because if you're really committed to a startup, like that's almost the minimum life cycle for most for most successful startups. So it was a very easy decision. It was no, we're mm-hmm. not passionate about this idea. We don't care about it. It's not something that excites us when we wake up in the morning. We did it because we wanted to start a startup. And that was the point where we realized starting a startup wasn't what we necessarily wanted. We wanted to create something that has a major impact on the world and something that in a problem space that we really care about. And so we decided to kill it with no idea what to do next. And and then just reflected for a couple months and tried to figure out what do we actually care about? And we literally wrote, what do we actually care about on, <laughs> I wrote one and he wrote one in separate nice. rooms. And then we came together and see, and we try to figure out exactly where it aligned. I think it was two things that are aligned. One was helping people generate income so that they can figure out what they want to do for their lives. So they don't have to fall into the trap of whatever makes them money. Um, so we wanted to generate that. But the biggest one that we had at both at the top of our list was psychology. And it was this idea that the mind is much more powerful than people think. We had no idea what problem we'd we'd try to solve. We had no idea what sort of space we'd end up in, but we knew that psychology was a problem space that we cared about. And so we just sat on it for a while. We we, we talked, we explored different ideas of psychology. We read the research and we spoke to our dad and he's huge self-believer in the mind and and self-belief as a general concept. And he mentioned that earlier he used hypnotherapy about 10 years ago, he used hypnotherapy to help him with a problem in his life and Alex and I were extremely skeptical. We've, we've never experienced hypnosis, hypnotherapy. All, all we've known from it is clucking like a chicken, you know, woohoo. Um, <laughs> and that's sort of our expectations going in. And and dad was like, okay, well, look at the research, like see what it says. And we did a deep, deep dive for a week. And we looked at all the research out there. We looked at exactly what it looks like and we were shocked. It was very yeah. different to what we expected. And it was not clucking like a chicken, woohoo. It was focused attention and absorption to amplify therapy, and that sort of gap was like, there's an opportunity here. If all the mainstream media and sort of us, we thought it was this, but research says it's this, how can we bridge that gap? And mm-hmm. so that was the sort of big idea around like a problem space that we care about, unique sort of problem that we found and opportunity centered like on the, the um, in the area that we're sort of passionate about long term in, in, a, in a space that we yeah, care about a lot. So we then decided to try to fix it. Um, and try to try to bridge that gap. So we actually started out mindset as a, the idea was uh, meditation was in a similar space about 10 years ago. So about 10 years ago, meditation was seen as woohoo, but now every single person has probably tried it, or most people have probably tried it, and the majority of people have it as a daily practice um, who have tried it. So it was this big disconnect between this tra- trajectory that meditation went on, but um, hypnosis hasn't gone on that same trajectory, even if it's in a similar field. So we originally started with let's create a meditation-like app using hypnosis. So Mindset was actually an app by itself at the very start. So it was a broad app with a bunch of different areas uh, ranging from um, self-esteem to anxiety to mood. And then that sort of, we followed the data and what people are listening to. We launched a program in in the Mindset app for Irritable bowel Syndrome. That program just blew off. It had two times the retention, two times the conversion rate. People were loving it, seeing amazing results. And off the back of that growth is when we got into Y Combinator. So mm-hmm. uh, previously with that the, the Mindset app, we were in Startmate as well, which is an accelerator based out of Melbourne, um, or based out of Australia. And um, that was really helpful to understand, like can we get the Mindset up and running? Can we get it working? And um, the Mindset app was doing fine, but it wasn't the sort of vision that we thought it could be. And when IBS started blowing off, we got into Y Combinator and that's when we made the decision to double down. It's like, if we're having this big impact with this one condition, that's, uh, could we create this really personalized, really prescriptive experience around one single condition and teach people how to manage their symptoms and be able to record and track outcomes over time? We didn't know that was digital therapeutics. We didn't know about the space. We just knew that that was the problem that needed to be solved. And the best way to do it is keep it extremely simple and do it for irritable bowel syndrome. So that was Nerva and now we've scaled out to uh, both helping with menopause and recently smoking cessation and yeah, team of 30 based in
0: Melbourne and growing fast. That's awesome, man. Incredible story. And yeah, to your point, I just just quickly before I go back, like the that credibility curve of uh, meditation that you talked about, it's funny how time moves on and consciousness moves on for people that they do start to embrace different things. And you look at where we were, probably not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, lobotomizing people because we thought that was the best thing to do. And then all of a sudden talking therapies like CBT and all the rest of it will all just start to come through. And they, as you say, might start as people thinking they're absolute nonsense, but then the evidence comes in and then the credibility comes in. And so it's no surprise that uh, something like hypnosis is some it is on that curve. And I think, you know, delivered digitally and everything that can be done with the technology revolution, it makes sense this one to many model or the model of tech to many almost if you can sort of embed that IP that's going to help people within there you can end up scaling that impact incredibly so I I also remember in fourth year medical school when we did special study modules there was a clinical hypnosis uh, special study module that you could do at Nottingham University Medical School like it's clearly something that has legs to it that has evidence behind it and as you say you've gone away and read it and found it and thought you know what maybe this can help people let's try it let's try and scale it let's use tech I think it's a really, I think it's a really cool story. Uh, before we go into mindset, though, I want to ask you a few questions on your background because I find your background fascinating. Because uh, your your dad was an entrepreneur, and you said that you know you, you talk about business ideas over dinner. I mean, this sounds like an absolute dream childhood for me. Rather than like you will go to medical school, but like, <laughs> you will become a doctor, and I think that's really interesting because clearly you've been enabled. You've been enabled to exercise what looks like really fast idea generation, give it a go, test it, try it, and fail. And you seem sort of oblivious to failure even being a negative thing. Like, and I know this is an overplayed narrative in Silicon Valley about glorifying failure and all the rest of it, but... I think as a kid, like as a teenager, as an early 20s guy, like having the big dreams of starting businesses and then being really successful and getting loads of money and attention and all all these different things that can come along with that, you you seem like really resistant to that narrative completely. You just kind of, well, you actually said at one point, I wrote this down, you you ended up realizing that you didn't want to start up. What you actually wanted was impact. And then you did that, what do I actually care about exercise? This whole narrative, I think, is really interesting to me. And and I suppose my question here is, how influential was that upbringing with where you are now? Do you think you'd have got here anyway because you went into finance and didn't like it and ended up going out? And do you think that, have, that would have happened anyway without this kind of enabling upbringing towards entrepreneurship or... Has that really been the key to where you are now? And do you think there are a lot of sort of nascent entrepreneurs locked in the traditional system?
1: I was very lucky to grow up with my parents and the family we were in. And I think the one thing that I probably take most out of it is the idea around self-belief and that everything is within reach if you just either care enough about it, but also have like a low ego learning approach to to figuring out what the best way is. And I think the... Um, Thing I learned most from my dad was self belief. The thing I learned most from my mom was, we'll figure it out. And I think both those combined together works really well. Um, I think definitely it is not that you have to need that upbringing. Like those are two qualities that can be acquired mm-hmm. or can be present in any sort of person at any given point, depending on their circumstances. So I, would not, I wouldn't say it's very hard to know if I would have gone that same direction. Mm-hmm. But even the finance thing, right? Like, I did that because it was also in my family, the thing that you go and you do a degree and you go and you study finance. Like my, like I dropped out of uni. My parents didn't want me to drop out of uni. I was just like, I don't care. Interesting. <laughs> I'm doing this. I want to go for it. Because they had their own pathway, right? Like everyone has a pathway that sort of society is pushing you towards. But for me, it was like, I don't really care. I just want to go off and try new things and see where it takes me. And I think the we'll figure it out things also quite big because it it means that failing is not bad or... What we wouldn't consider things a failure that other people would consider. Like even covet, right? People might look at covet and be like, oh, yeah, failed their first startup. But for us, it's like we we wear it like badge of honor. It's very great. We learned so Mm. much from it. Like... Yeah. Now, if you look at if you look at the Nerve app right now, you'd see how simple it is as a product. And mm. some people look at talk about it. They're like, "Oh, why is it not this like complex thing?" It's like in health, it should be this like intensive. But it's like people don't care about that. They just want the mm. simple thing that solves their problem in the easiest way possible. That's engaging and a really good experience. And there might be complexities behind it, but what they really care about is a simple solution to that problem. Mm. But we wouldn't have done that if we didn't build the five. 50 feature dress rental app that tried to
0: do everything for women when we didn't launch it and we didn't understand it and i do i do find that it's quite a funny story that isn't it the you know two guys two young guys thinking that they can build this app for a target audience that they are absolutely not and you know, it's, it's funny that you did that learning, right? It's funny that you did that learning and you you probably, you know, you probably asked a load of people for features and all these different things. But then you you said, I wrote it down again, like you built it and then nobody wanted it. And that's a very humbling experience, isn't it? Like also described as the market punched me in the face. And, you know, you cannot beat the market. You learn from that, right? It, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting one that, and I think the market favors nobody it, it just is what it is
1: yeah and once you embrace that it's powerful because then it's like well mm-hmm. what's the only thing you're optimizing for is figuring out what the market wants and if you like saw how we run and operate at mindset health it's like experimentation is the core thing of our existence it's everything is an experiment whether it's a a facebook ad or a content experiment or a involving healthcare practitioners within the flow experiment, like everything's an experiment. And if it performs awesome, if it doesn't perform great, we just learned that as well. But I think that's one of the other learnings from Covet was that we had tied our identity to Covet. And so, Mm. I mean, any entrepreneur listening to this would know that generally we're all tied to our company in some way in terms of our identity. But because we were tied to it, we sort of had this ego approach to how we built the product. And, you know, we knew what was best and so tied to like the outcome of it in certain ways that, we weren't optimized for learning. But when we killed Covet and we fell into this period of self-doubt because of our identity being tied to uh, this, uh, this startup or this thing that we've been telling everyone about and this thing that we were so keen on launching and, and getting users and doing that, it's it's very humbling. And it, real, it makes you realize that it's not effective to tie your identity in that way to certain outcomes. And now we try to lower the barrier as much as possible for experimentation. So it's like if someone has an idea for something, we'll test it. We'll see if it works. If the market wants it, awesome.
0: If they don't want it, great for giving you a go. I think optimised for learning is a really key phrase for getting a startup on the right track. And I liked where you talked about the difference between going from ego-based to then optimised for learning as if one is actually the opposite to, other, to the other. And that might not always be true, but you're right, we can definitely all wrap our identity into what we're doing. And so frequently, I have to tell myself even that I am not the output and success of my company. That isn't me. I'm still just, I'm I'm a complete... One phrase I use often, right? My dog doesn't care what company I have or how much money I earn or how (laughs) my status or job title is. My dog does not care. He loves me for like whatever the heck he knows me as. And actually, so do my friends, so do my family. It's just that I often put this pressure on myself in a very different way. But I think optimizing for learning is just an incredible framework to, to run a startup. I, and quite often as well, actually, when I'm sent a pitch deck for some for me to look at or, or whatever it is so often my feedback is how much of this is an assumption and how much of this is a fact and I think so many assumptions can be baked into what a startup does that they're not keen to do that learning because they've got a fixed way tactically of how to actually deliver what they want to be delivering and what they want to be known for and I think it seems that you've gone through that and it seems that you've really understood that and, and taken that on board and actually put that as part of your identity as like a core value, which, yeah, that, that must do you a heck of a lot of favors when when thinking about new products and how you move the company forwards and all that sort of stuff, right? Well, even it's, it's interesting to um, speak about new products because the approach that we took
1: with EVR, so our second product, a digital therapeutic for menopause, was very different to our approach we took for Finito. So for for EVR, what we focused on was menopause, great market on the the outset. It's a really, really interesting sort of underserved market where there's a lot of sort of brand and potential there. And we also had a researcher that we partnered with who was an amazing researcher. So really effective hypnotherapy sessions. And that combination was like a no-brainer for for us initially to go into our our next product but one, one thing we didn't do is test our assumption around how do we grow um, so we're a pretty consumer driven growth company and We've now found out selling to menopausal women is hard and it's a hard mm. thing to grow. And now we've had to do a lot of learning to be able to get to that stage where now it's it's, it's growing and it's looking like it's really strong. But for Finito, for quit, for smoking cessation, we flipped it. We looked at, you know, what do the users want? And so we, you know, sent emails out to all of our audience. We tested different sort of like marketing and growth sort of options. We, we asked and interviewed people from different healthcare conditions, um, and found smoking cessation to be the no-brainer like people one have a really good reception with hypnotherapy they have a really good understanding of how it could work together because it's behavioral unlike menopause which is um, temperature regulation much more complex all that means that now it's a lot easier for us to grow finitos so that mm. but we only learned that and we only changed our approach because we reflected on our our, our approach for evia and now if all of our sort of new products are built in the same way or we're building our sort of pipeline out in that same sort of approach of how do we set ourselves up for success in the best Mm -hmm. way? So we definitely care about the outcome and that's like, it's impossible to distance yourself from the outcome. Like I care (laughs) if our growth numbers are good last month and I care if like, it's, it's, it, it drives a lot of how I feel, but you take the low ego approach once the outcome has happened, especially.
0: Yeah. I definitely want to ask you more about the consumer side of health and where this fits in. But first let's talk about let's talk broadly about mindset health right so so talk talk to me at your first product and talk to me about what does it look like to a user what value are you trying to bring here and how do you practically deliver that so yes we can you know hypnotherapy delivered digitally what does that even mean talk to me all about that in some detail so we understand what it actually is awesome yeah so Um, What we do with Mindset is we create hypnosis-based
1: digital therapeutics for specific healthcare conditions. So um, our first product for irritable bowel syndrome, as you mentioned before, is called Nerva. Um, And what Nerva looks like and feels like is a structured sort of initial six-week core program uh, teaching people how to self-manage their irritable bowel syndrome symptoms. So that's, if you're not familiar, it's diarrhea, constipation, abdominal pain, um, and a few others. And the general outcome we're trying trying to get to is that we have sort of good results by the end and what I mean good results I mean it looks like we're sort of up there with the best um mm. irritable and syndrome products uh in the world which is
0: which is great to see and um how do you measure that out of interest what does good look like or what does great look like or what does problem solved look like for you how do you track that
1: yeah so it's all patient reported outcomes so what we've done is mm-hmm. um we've got about validated questionnaire so we've got the VAS ibs and we've got the phq9 um all within the actual product itself so we ask them at the start of the program we ask them each week throughout the program we ask them at the six-week mark as well and so we can see that reduction over time and we can see that about 70 percent of people respond um clinically respond to our product and then of those they get an average reduction of 60 percent in symptoms which is on par or better than um any other sort of option for irritable bowel syndrome and Yeah, very similar to the low FODMAP diet, which uh, is also quite onerous. So what we've sort of positioned ourselves at is a really effective option for people to learn how to self-manage IBS symptoms. Well, one of the most effective options and yeah, maybe even taking a step back, the way that we got to, the way that we build our content and our products is a bit different to most companies. So we came from that idea of like skeptical and research and Mm. there's a gap between the mainstream media. So the way that we do this, Alex and I aren't clinicians, we aren't psychologists. We, I mean, I studied a bit of psychology, but not a psychologist. And sure. we don't have expertise to create content and product. And that was never our intention. And um, so the first thing we did as soon as we knew that we wanted to get into this space is to figure out how to get content. The most important part of anything like this, we found Dr. Simone Peters. So she was a researcher out of Monash University. Um, she ran a, a, an RCT comparing gut directed hypnotherapy in person. So in-person hypnotherapy sessions with uh, the low FODMAP diet, which is one of the main options for bowel syndrome patients right now and found that they were equally as effective at six weeks mark and then at a six month mark as well. So we saw that study and we're like, okay, this is an area that's awesome, um, really underserved, let's partner with this researcher. And then we hassled her for about months, uh, eight emails before she replied or something. No, it wasn't eight, but it was a few emails before she replied and then got her excited about the vision of what we could do together. And so what we've done is we've taken that same approach and digitalized it. So. Um, taking the in-person hypnotherapy sessions, uh, making them accessible through audio recordings. So that's the delivery of hypnotherapy. So if we think about what hypnotherapy is, it's about focused attention and absorption to amplify the effectiveness of therapeutic techniques. So what that means is when you're in the session and when you're focused and absorbed, we then deliver therapeutic suggestions around um, normal gut function or ways to manage irritable bowel syndrome so that you're really sort of attentive in those moments and what it feels like might be similar to a guided, uh, guided meditation session. So if you've gone through a guided meditation session before, you sit down, put your ears in, close your eyes, maybe for about 15 to 20 minutes, you'll go through some sort of visualization. That's normally it for the guided meditation side of things, but for our sort of content, it feels very similar to that for maybe the first half. And then in the second half we go into the sort of therapeutic side of it so for irritable bowel syndrome that's using guided imagery as a way for something like depression um you might use cbt as the techniques within the hypnotherapy session for something like uh, menopause we use uh, the ability of uh, visualizing coolness so it's all about calming hot flashes and the, the teaching the brain how to regulate temperature so by visualizing coolness we can regulate temperature in a different way and we can track that through skin modules and stuff it's really awesome stuff but that's another key thing: is hypnosis isn't a therapy; it's an, a way to amplify different therapies. So, the actual therapeutic techniques change per condition, but the idea of being immersed and absorbed into audio means that therapy itself is more effective. So, and what it looks like to actually use the product itself: it's a mobile app. It's like looks like a list of tasks, and they'll go through each day. They'll have their sort of prescribed tasks for the
0: day. For the six weeks, they'll progress, and then post. We have a sort of maintenance plan as well afterwards. Yeah. I think this is really interesting, right? So I've seen a few like Wim Hof videos and that kind of thing and he would definitely agree with you that the the conscious mind can override the unconscious physiology and help thermoregulate you the you know he jumps into the water in the arctic etc. and so we see this in action in in many different places, and I think using it clinically, it can therefore be harnessed. I think crucially here, the word hypnosis is quite—it's a lot of connotations come along with it, right? As you mentioned right at the start, stigma, yeah, stigma, right? Yeah, okay. I Wanted to avoid that word, but yeah, no, fair. You're, you've said it, but there is—you're right. And I think what it's not is, you know, a swinging. Uh, pocket watch that sends you into a trance that then stops you doing certain behaviors and you don't really know why what we're actually talking about here is putting somebody into a state of heightened awareness to absorb therapeutic information which i think is a completely different game And I believe that probably is what people in my special studies module in fourth year medical school were actually going away and learning about is actually how do we make therapies most effective. And actually, it makes a lot more sense when put like that, when labelled with hypnosis. So I imagine there's good and there's bad with that. I imagine there's a lot of people that are attracted to it because of it. But like yourself, there are are going to be people that are going to be sceptical with it. But in the way that you've described it, I can see that scepticism disappearing very quickly, particularly with the results side of things that you're getting, the evidence-based results. How do people find what you do? And perhaps this ties us into your approach being more consumer-focused in Australia, Is consumer healthcare a big deal? Is that the majority way of doing things? I don't know, your public-private split and things like that. So is it common for people to put their hands in their pockets and solve these types of problems themselves? I imagine for things like smoking cessation, absolutely. IBS, you know, in the UK, you'd be certainly wanting the NHS to help you in some way. And you might not want to put your hand in your pocket straight away. But I know that people obviously do to solve these things because well, you know the NHS is spread very thinly. So, yeah, where does the consumer health side of things fit in with you philosophically and as a company, and versus in Australia and and what you guys are doing with this? Talk to me about that. Yeah, I think um, something about coming from
1: a I guess more consumer background, but it really is not a healthcare background is is our background um, led us to just. Do what made sense to us, and for us, it was like: person has irritable bowel syndrome. We have like self-management option that can help them. Let's tell them that. So initially, what we did is just you know go into communities, speak about our product, and now and then start picking up with some marketing. And we start we we uh, are now still pretty driven from consumer marketing and. Um, we're actually worldwide, so most of our, most of our markets in the US and we've got the UK as well. UK converts mm-hmm. worse than the US, maybe because of the healthcare system, so that's interesting. Yeah, maybe though. But, <laughs> um, but it was always like, if the consumer has a problem, let's solve their problem, and then yeah. it just makes sense to build for them. And I think that translates to how we build a product as well. Like If you look at ratings for healthcare companies that build for consumers, so that have consumers their pay up, um, we've got 4.6 stars from over 10,000 reviews Yeah, if you can find a B2B digital therapeutics company that has um, those type of reviews, I'd I'd be very surprised. So I think that side of things, because we're forced to build for a person who's paying for our product, we're forced to build this product that they enjoy, that works, that's really effective. And with digital therapeutics, the biggest problem is not, there's two big problems with digital therapeutics. It's not that the actual content is effective. Distribution is really hard. So it's really hard to get it in people's hands. And that's one of the biggest problems people run into. And then the other one is around retention. So people don't create a, a consumer experience that's engaging. They have Netflix, right? They have all these other alternatives that are really engaging. But if you want to succeed in having a person come back to your, uh, coming back to your mobile app, which doesn't have the in-person interaction to keep you accountable, then you need to have something that, one, holds them accountable. Two, is really engaging. And three, sort of really effective. Um, and if you don't have those three, then they're just going to drop off. Like if you look at mobile health retention rates, it's like 4% at day 30. And that's not how you build an effective company is so if you have 96% mm. of people dropping off before they're even able to see results. Um, mm. So yeah, mostly was always consumer initially. And that was our sort of bread and butter and still is our bread and butter. But our largest growing channel right now is healthcare providers or healthcare practitioners. So um, it's about 5% of our growth Uh, a year ago and now it's 15% of our growth so healthcare providers predominantly dieticians and uh, gastroenterologists for IBS are a growing channel for us and we probably expect it to be maybe our biggest channel in the long run so the only reason we got to that as well was because we started seeing them organically refer us and we're like, oh, if they're organically referring us, let's figure out how we can make the experience. Wow. Good for them. So we started sharing data from our patients with healthcare providers. We started making it easy for them to refer us. We started to, uh, and then uh, that's just growing as a percentage. So our uh, like general approach is like keep it simple. Self Got a product for consumer, sell to consumer. Oh, healthcare providers, it also solves a problem for them. Let's build for them. Let's make it a good experience. And uh, well, now we're really effective with really good research sell of the insurance companies um
0: that sort of thing just ladder up got it got it and you know what it's a really interesting way of thinking about it. it it's it's becoming a more trodden path now that and I think it you're right it starts with this thing I've built does it have value and the best way to decide that is as we've talked about before like lay yourself open for the market to decide and actually if a, if a human is gonna is gonna part with money that they have earned through (laughs) labor or whatever it is if they're going to part with that to pay for your product because it solves a problem for them then you know inherently that you are creating value you have value that you're trading with them and ironically that is then what those healthcare professionals need because they are not going to recommend something that they don't know works or that they don't feel works based on evidence or experience themselves and actually then as you say you ladder up to insurance companies and then hey presto all all of a sudden you become sleepy oh and you get you know nice saying that you should be prescribed in the UK as first line and all of a sudden hey ho then you're prescribed and in the UK on the NHS it is free for everybody because actually that level of evidence required does need that volume in order to get there it's just that you guys are like with Otto, who you said off air that you guys are close to and things like that and doing this in tinnitus therapy, it's, it's becoming a bit more common this, but it's becoming also a bit more comfortable, I think, for us to say, or for certain companies like yourselves, to say, well, look, we are just going to see if people will pay for this. And yes, there are things about health inequalities and things there, but if we are going to make enough impact with this, we need to turn it into a business. It needs to be a profitable business that can go and make that impact. And so actually we have to test it with those people first and then as you say ladder up to the healthcare professionals the insurers and then broader public health systems it seems like that's becoming uh, that path has been trailblazed and it's it, there's people starting to follow that route then which i think becomes interesting what's your ambition for this then you've moved into smoking cessation uh, ibs you've talked about menopause what is your grand vision here for what you guys are up to? Are you looking at things like chronic pain? Are you looking for things like are you looking at all these different things that could be picked off similarly? Are there a group of conditions for which hypnosis lends itself more so than others? Is it just hypnosis? Are you looking at other other ways of delivery too? I mean, what's the grand vision here for you guys? Yeah, so the known part of exactly our strategy is where is there
1: existing really strong research for hypnosis as a way to help someone with a certain area so chronic pains are a great example huge amounts of research um, really effective for it I mean people use hypnosis for analgesia um, so as a, as a sort of an area chronic pain is like one of the Great ones, you know, mental health. There's there's tons of different sort of specific healthcare areas that we're planning on going into. So we've got a pipeline of ten plus healthcare conditions, um, which will expand into very similar ways. So we've got um, this sort of shared infrastructure that allows us to build products for different healthcare conditions really fast. And we've also partnered with the best researchers in the world for hypnosis as well. So we've got um, researchers out of Stanford, out of Harvard, out of Baylor University. So big, big sort of researchers that have really strong existing programs, as well as ways for us to develop content for different healthcare conditions. So that's like a big part of our strategy is to just expand our portfolio to help more people. The other one is so ladder up and become that sort of healthcare company that that embraces the the whole healthcare system. But the the real sort of grand vision there is like, how do we make hypnosis? How do we enable the mind to play a bigger role in healthcare? And we see the best way to do that is hypnosis. And so um, it truly is to empower a billion people to unlock the power of their mind and hypnosis as a way to drive immersion and the amplification of the effectiveness of therapy. Even so, 80% of studies, CBTs is uh, more effective when combined with hypnosis. So I think the concept behind hypnosis will always stay, to, stay, stay true to us. Um, what that looks like could be very different. For example, one of the best ways to create immersion is something like VR, where it's like you're truly immersed within the environment that you're in. And if you can use that immersion in an environment to deliver therapeutic suggestions, then that's awesome. Like that's how you create really effective therapy for, uh, for specific people. So um, always centered around the idea of like hypnosis and immersion as a way to amplify therapy. And how can we make that accessible to
0: billions of people? And yeah, I guess just help everyone. Awesome, man. What stage are you guys are in terms of, I and mean, I imagine you're raising capital to uh, turbocharge this stuff. I know that, there's Y Combinator thrown in there in your intro as well. I mean, what sort of stage are you at company-wise um, with this stuff, and what's the what's the next what's the next stage for you? Yeah, so we've um, so we went through Y Combinator in
1: 2019. Um, off the back of that, we've well since then we've raised about like six mil US. Um, uh, so yeah, that's helped us scale out to where we are now. So we've helped over eighty thousand patients with irritable bowel syndrome. Leading to about over five million US uh, a year in, in revenue, and um, the idea is to keep scaling that into other healthcare conditions as the next stage. So we've just launched Finito, our um, digital therapeutic for helping people quit smoking. Really awesome product and 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 area. We've partnered with uh, Dr. Gary Atkins from Baylor University to make his program that showed um, a forty-six percent uh, success quit rate at uh, one year, which is over ten times better than um, cold turkey alone. So uh, we partnered with him to release Finito. So that's sort of our next product that we're really pushing behind, and um, we will be raising
0: in the next couple of months. So stay tuned for that. But we're at thirty people now, and yeah, excited. And to go full circle, I mean, how are you feeling these days? Are you are you, uh, are, you are you is your identity creeping into this company now? Are you are you feeling that this is the one? This is going to be the big exit. This is going to be the big impact, and and put you on the how, how are you feeling? I think my identity is always tied to it. I said I say, I say <laughs> like I try not to, but it's like it's
1: impossible yeah. not to. Um, as a founder. And uh, I'm proud of myself. I think I'm, I'm I'm happy to be working. I'm excited when I come to work every day. I think it's pretty surreal, like opening our office and then seeing 20 people talking there yeah. about strategy and really caring about the thing they're working on. And that's something that's hard to create. Like we've, we had a hack week um, last week and people were having new ideas and new things. And they're all like mm. really awesome projects. And our new audio engineer, Ed, he created a video of User testimonials and then made it into like a Netflix documentary. You know how they've got like the oh. like the weird like the music. and It was really intense. I'll I'll, I'll share it sometime. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, send it over. It was so emotional watching it. And then like it was like the the effect that you have on real. It's really hard. Another thing that other founders would relate to, it's really hard to connect with the people that you help. Um, even if you can see like all the user reviews saying life-changing, that sort of stuff. But to watch that video, I was like tearing up. I was like, oh shit, like, we're having a really impact with people. <laughs> um, our business is solid and like our ability to scale and grow. And
0: I love our team and I'm, I'm excited. That's awesome, man. And definitely send that video over, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I'm. that's the game I'm in. So love, love seeing Love seeing good media stuff in health tech because there's definitely not enough of it. But mate, listen, this has been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, dudes. It's been it's been great hearing about you guys and everything that you're up to. I think the path that you're on is a good one. I think any time that you're not only building something for a market that exists, but also just trying to create one, and I think in part educating people on the value of of true proper clinical hypnosis and what it actually is and what it does and taking away some of that stigma you're you're not only building that company and solving that problem for those people I think you're doing the world a good service and I think that is important and one of the reasons I picked your application out actually for the podcast was because Because I know a little bit of, you know, a fair amount or little bit of stuff about clinical hypnosis and and the value of it. And I think it's important that people understand that. And I think you guys are doing, uh, you guys sound like you're doing a great job. So all the best for the future, mate. If people want to get in touch with you or learn more about what you are up to at Mindset Health, what is the best way for them to do so? I think you can just email me at chris at mindsethealth.com.
1: Or, I don't know, go on LinkedIn, search Chris Namedes. I'm pretty sure I'm the only one in the world. So, well,
0: at least the only (laughs) one on LinkedIn. So, you'll be able to find me. I got one of those names, teammate. It uh, it gets a lot, It, it, it feels worth it now. Like, all that time spent staying late to finish off my surname because it's so long when I was a three-year-old like finally seems worth it now I'm the only yeah. one on LinkedIn and I've got a nice personal brand <laughs> um, but anyway dude as I say pleasure having you on man and uh, yeah all the best if you want to get in touch with Chris I'll stick the link to Chris's LinkedIn in the description of this episode along with the link to Mindset Health Um, and feel free to check them out. They are raising in a couple of months, so any investors interested should feel free to connect with Chris. Uh, It's a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on, James. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.